Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. We have been through the month of October walking through a particular topic, and that topic is money or finances from a biblical perspective. And we have launched from 1 Timothy chapter number 6. There are a lot of passages in the Bible on this topic, and Jesus talked about it very often, but we've been launching from this particular passage. So 1 Timothy chapter number 6, today is our last day on giving or on finances, and we will start on service here next Sunday. But I want us to read this passage together again. 1 Timothy 6, look at verse number 17, almost the end of this particular book, Paul writing to Timothy. It says this, charge them that are rich in this world. So Timothy, command or challenge a specific demographic of people. Challenge those that are rich. And we uncovered on week number one that that's you and me. Middle class Americans, we are rich. Historically and currently, we just fall in that category, whether we want to admit it or not. And it says, don't do two things. So beware of these two pitfalls. So charge them that they be not high-minded. So don't be arrogant nor trust in uncertain riches. So don't migrate your hope. Don't migrate your trust to your wealth. Rather, you should do this. Trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart and understand that he gave you richly all things to enjoy. Don't be guilty about it, but be grateful for it. And know that it's God that gave it to you. It's his in the first place. He's given it to you just to manage and to steward for him. Verse 18. So those that are rich, they should do something. They should do good. They should be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, or you could say communicate as share. So literally those that have more should do more and should give more. You should leverage what you have, time and treasure, for the glory of God and that you have a greater responsibility to do some things. Verse number 19, we have not hit this verse yet, and we're going to cover it this morning. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Let's, well, I want to extract a few principles from this uh, passage, especially verse number 19 today. And they're simple principles, but they're principles that really should govern how we view our money and our time and our resources and what we have to be able to leverage for the glory of God. And so principle number one is a simple, a very, very simple truth. And most all of you would attest to this already, but we have to start with this one. And here's, here's the first principle. There is an eternal world to come. Paul talks here about our money, about our time, about our riches, but notice how he starts this passage of Scripture. He starts in verse number uh, 17 with charge them that are rich, and then he says these three words, in this world. Did you catch that? In this world. Why would Paul phrase them that are rich in this world? Why would he phrase it that way? What is he saying that there's a non-present world, that there is a, a world that's not this world, that there's a, a world that's, that's in the future of sorts? Really, what Paul is doing is he's, he's tipping his hand to the biblical truth that there is an actual life after this life, that there is a world to come, there is an eternity. And then if that wasn't clear enough, he does state that even more clearly in verse number 19, that we should lay up and store for themselves a good foundation. And he says this, against the time to come, against the future, against heaven, against eternity. What Paul is essentially instructing Timothy to do is this. Paul is telling Timothy, instruct those that have riches that they have a unique and rare opportunity 
to do good and give of themselves and give of their treasure in such a way that they can impact their standing in the age to come. So this, this is Timothy telling those that have resources, you can do good and give in such a way that you can actually impact the age to come. Now, that's an opportunity that I don't personally want to miss. I hope that's an opportunity that you would not want to miss, that you can actually impact eternity based on what you do in this life. Now, the truth that there is eternity, that there is an afterlife, that's a truth that the vast majority of Americans just broadly would hold on to. Ninety-plus percent of Americans believe in an afterlife. They believe in some place. Now, they may not all call it heaven. They may not all have a biblical perspective of what that is. But 90-plus percent of Americans, and I would even say the world is even greater than that, that they believe in some sort of afterlife or life after death. Christians certainly believe that because Jesus Christ taught that, and the Bible teaches that. But many Christians have a misconception about the world to come, about the time to come, about the future, about eternity. I have found as I dialogue with people about eternity that many Christians have this misconception that eternity is going to be this this place somewhere in the sky where we kind of wander around in disembodied spirits with some sort of celestial harp strumming on it and some eternal sing-along in the sky. And that's what heaven's going to be like. But the Bible tells us, yes, there is to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, but that's temporary. The Bible tells us that heaven is actually going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We will have glorified, resurrected bodies. It will be a material place. It will be a real place. You will walk. You will talk. You will have culture. Certainly, it will be centered on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But heaven is a place that's real. Heaven is even a place where there's stuff, where there's, there's treasure, there's, there's goods, there's gold. Not just streets of gold that you walk on, but you could have treasure. You could have stuff. You could maybe have some painting on your wall. That Heaven is a real, tangible, material place that we will enjoy, and we can affect that future based on what we do in this life. And so the, the first truth you have to understand that there is, there is an eternity. There is heaven. There is a world to come. And we should live in light of that. This is what Matthew Henry said, and I like what he said. He said, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. What was Matthew Henry saying? We should live with eternity in mind. We should live with heaven in mind. We should live with this perspective that is playing the long game, so to speak, not just concerned about the here and now and the temporal, but with the eternal. Secondly, Yes, there's a heaven. Yes, there's an age to come. Yes, there's, there's an eternity. Sure. But secondly, you can't take your treasure with you, but you can send it ahead. So when we're talking about here versus eternity, and we're talking about our stuff that we possess, you can't take your stuff with you, but you do have the opportunity to send it ahead. This is really what Paul is saying when he says that we could lay up in store for ourselves a good foundation against the time to come, that we can impact the future based on what we do in the present. There's a famous quote that's gone around Christendom for a number of years by Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Aka Indians, and he was martyred by them trying to give them the gospel. But Jim Elliott said this quote, he's no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Now, some have looked at that quote and said, oh, he's super spiritual. He has no interest in, in earthly things. He has no interest in temporal things. Yeah, that's partly true. Jim did, though, have an interest in heavenly things. He understood it's not just about giving what I cannot keep, but it is about gaining that which I cannot lose. That he was living with a perspective of I'm going to gain, I'm going to get eternally something, I'm going to actually lay up for myself a good foundation against the time to come. That this is precisely what Jim Elliott said, is precisely what Jesus advocated to us. Matthew 6, that's the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I actually, I can't go the whole sermon without inserting some sort of Israel story. I actually just a, a week ago stood where they believe the Sermon on the Mount took place and where these people would have sat in kind of this a theater of sorts, just a, a natural theater made out of the hill, and Jesus would have given this, this sermon. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 6, these words that are potent words for us. They give us an eternal perspective on our treasure and on our stuff. He said this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. My granddaddy is a, a man who has a, a decent amount of money, I guess I would say, by most people's standards. They would say it's a decent amount. But he grew up in an age where you didn't trust banks. So he refuses to put his money in banks. And he has a lot of property, so you're not going to find it if you go looking for it. But uh, in different spots on his property, he has boxes with Lots of money buried. And I've never seen them personally. He's only allowed my dad to see it just in case. You know, he wants to make sure someone knows where it is sort of stuff. But my dad would attest to the fact that if you open that box filled with old money, it smells moldy. It smells nasty. That moth, in, not rust in that case, but moth is beginning to corrupt that stuff, that treasure. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt, where thieves do break in and steal. I don't know if you've ever been robbed or someone's broken into your home, but that happens. But do this, Jesus says. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through, through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus says, don't lay up and don't put all your assets here on earth, but you can send it ahead. You can't take it with you. You can't have it for eternity unless you invest it and you give it and you actually lay it up for eternity. That word treasure there is just a simple word that you would naturally think what treasure meant. It means your money. It means your stuff. It means your gold, your jewels, your dollars, your, your finances, your, the equity that you have in your home. It, it means this, the treasure that you have. And Jesus warns us, don't store it up on earth. Not because it might be lost, but it will be lost. One day, you and I, a morbid fact, but it's true, you and I, we're going to die. And it's gone. You say, well, I could leave it to my kids, or I could do this, or I could have it in, in my will somehow. Yeah, but you're not taking it with you. There's a guarantee there that one day that will all be gone. What you have accrued to yourself but Jesus says, look, that's the warning. It, it will be lost, but you can actually send it ahead. You can make investments in eternity. You can lay up for yourself a good foundation against the time to come. John D. Rockefeller was one of the richest Americans to ever live. And when he died, someone asked his accountant, how much money did John D. Rockefeller leave? And the accountant replied, all of it. And no matter how much you have in your 401k or in your bank account or in your assets, no, it doesn't matter. When we leave, we leave all of it, do we not? 
So we can't take it with us. It's impo- that's common sense. It's impossible to take it with us, but we can send it ahead. This is what the Bible says. If you want a great psalm to read on finances, Psalm 49 is a fantastic passage. And part of this passage talks about those that are prospering, that are evil. And these are the words that Psalm 49, 16 says, Be not afraid when one's made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. Talking about someone who's doing wrong, but they're prospering. Says this, For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. What's that? That, That's a simple, blunt, honest truth. We're not taking it with us. It's impossible to. You're not carrying it away. But you have the opportunity to invest in the future. Financial planners, if if any of you have one, or there's someone in your HR department at work, or someone that you talk to, they'll tell you, don't think three weeks ahead. Don't think three months ahead. Don't even think three years ahead. What do they tell you? Think 30 years ahead. Think long-term, right? Make these investments and play the long game in the market. It'll even itself out. Well, Jesus is being the best, giving you the best financial planning advice you could ever have. He says, not three weeks, three months, three years, or even 30 years. He says, think 30 million years. Think eternity. Jesus is playing the real long game here. He's saying, think in heaven. Think that's where you want to send your assets. That's what you want to divest yourself of the temporal of banking on earth because that will all day be, one day be gone. But bank on investing in heaven that's secured by Jesus Christ himself that will pay dividends for eternity to come. This is his advice to you, to me. But don't miss this. Jesus' argument isn't really based on a right and wrong principle. His argument isn't based on, well, it's wrong to have stuff here and right to have stuff in heaven. His argument is based on logic. He doesn't say it's necessarily wrong to have treasure on earth. He just says it's stupid. He says that it's all going away. The, the, the moth, the rust, the thieves, you ain't holding on to that. He says, but it's, it's wise. It's, it's an appeal to logic. It would actually be smart to invest in eternity or to invest in heaven. Now, some have argued, well, it's unspiritual to talk about motivation for giving, to talk about motivation for our finances in that way, that somehow it's unspiritual to talk about money and that I should be motivated selfishly. That's how it appears to some, that I would be motivated that I will gain reward, I will gain treasure, I will gain dividends, I will actually have a benefit in eternity because of what I do with my money and my time and my resources in the present. And that, I would say, first of all, a love for Jesus is the ultimate motivation that should drive us beyond anything else. But it is not wrong. It is not unhealthy to have a motivation of I'm going to store up for myself. I'm going to actually earn some dividends in eternity for what I do with my money now. That we know it's not wrong because that's a biblical motivation, We believe it's right to be motivated by I will have in the future because this is what Jesus tells us to do. If it were wrong to want eternal rewards, if it was wrong to want stuff in eternity, to have treasure in the future, then Christ would not have offered those as rewards or motivation. But motivation of I can have treasure in the future is not my idea or your idea. It's God's idea. He puts it in the Bible. Don't do it here, but do it here and know that you can bank on having a reward there. And the Bible's peppered with verses that tell us this kind of simple truth that we can actually have true riches, that we can gain to our account, that we can have treasure in heaven based on what we do with our money. I'll give you a couple of them. One is in Luke 16. 
This is a story that Jesus tells. It's a parable about a steward who is in danger of mishandling his Lord's money. And Jesus gets to the end of the parable and he gives this short verse. He says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, talking about here on earth, then who will commit to your trust the true riches? What's he talking about when he says true riches? He's talking about treasure in heaven. This is what Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 4. Paul was in need, and the Philippians gave to him. And Paul writes to him, and he says, Hey, thank you. I'm glad you gave to me, but I did not want you to give to me because I desired a gift. He says, I did not want you to give to me so that I could have something because I needed I wanted you to give, and he says, it's not that I desire to give, but I desired fruit that it may abound to your account. What is Paul saying there? I desired fruit that would abound to your account. What he's saying is you giving to me, you sharing, you distributing, you give it, getting rid of your wealth and giving it to somebody else, that is actually gain to you. That's actually fruit to your account. I'm not sure if there's some scroll or if there's some iPad with some ledger on it in heaven that keeps track exactly of what we give on a day-to-day basis, but I would have to think so. I would think that you have an account with a ledger that says, you know what, they took some Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, they packed them with stuff, they spent some money, and they shipped them halfway around the world to love kids in Jesus' name. But that's on our account. I would have to think that there would be, they gave some monthly donations to the church. They invested in the missions program. Their neighbor lost their job and was down on their luck, and now they they shared, and they said, hey, let us help you out, and let us buy you some groceries, that as we give, as we invest our temporal resources in the work of Jesus Christ, then literally fruit abounds to our account. Luther said it this way. He said, I've held many things in my hands, and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And he was right. When you give it to God, you invest it in eternity, and you're guaranteed treasure in heaven. For those of you who like to play card games, I'll illustrate it this way. Some people go through life playing poker, and some go through life playing Uno. I don't go play poker and gamble. I'm against gambling. But some people go through life wanting to accrue and get the best hand that they have so I can end with a full house and lay it all down and be done. Other people go through life with an uno mindset. Whatever I get, I'm, I'm just trying to get rid of that thing as fast as I can. I don't even want those cards in my hand. Draw two, get rid of those things, right? How many of you like uno? Any uno? All right, all right. Not the one with the machine, though, that you tap and gives you cards at random. That's way too, that's way too random. You have to play old school with a deck of cards that are all crumpled and nasty. We should go through life that way, right? That, hey, I got something, let me give it away. I got something, let me distribute. I got something, let me share. I got, I've been blessed with draw four. Oh, wow, I better give more away, right? That You never knew draw four was a blessing, but it is. That should be our mindset. Why? Well, I get to help other people, sure, because Jesus gave to me and I want to give to him, sure. But there also is a, it's not selfish, it's actually biblical. There's a, there's a heartbeat and a motivation of, I understand, I'm playing the long game and I'm investing in eternity and I'm sending that ahead. I may not, I may not have it right now, but I'm putting it in God's hands and I will have it in the future. Tozer said this, I'm not a fan of reading three and four sentence block quotes in a sermon but this was just too good to pass up. So it's in your notes, and I'll read it to you if you don't have it in your notes there. As base a thing as money often is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. 
It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ immediately is touched with immortality. That's absolutely biblical and accurate. That we, yes, we know there's heaven, we know there's an eternity, but we have the opportunity to invest in eternity. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can plan for the future. You can lay up treasure in heaven. You can lay up for yourself a good foundation against the time to come. How? By investing your treasure. That's what, that's what 1 Timothy 6 said, right? You do more and you give more, and in thus doing that, you lay up for yourself a good foundation against the time to come. Go back to 1 Timothy 6 if you left there, and I want us to read the last phrase of this particular section. Yes, we lay up and store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. But then the last phrase says this, that they may lay hold on eternal life. I would say it this way. To truly give is to truly live. What Paul is saying here to Timothy is that when you give of yourself and when you give of your resources, yes, you get to lay up treasure in heaven, but that's not all. He says you also get to lay hold on eternal life. What does that mean? The easiest way I could say it is this. You get to experience heaven on earth. I don't have time to go through a deep study of that phrase, but he's not saying that you get to gain heaven or that you get to buy yourself into heaven. What he's saying is you get to possess a little bit of heaven on earth when you give of yourself and you give of your resources to other people. He's saying essentially what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying that when you give, you get to live, that there's joy that comes from that, that there is a piece of heaven that you get to enjoy and to experience because you're giving of yourself. And what he's saying is if you have resources, and all of us do, whether we want to admit it or not, if you have resources, you have an opportunity to actually find joy in this present life through what you give. Now that's something I'm interested in. If he's telling me that I can find joy and I can lay hold on heaven, that I can have a piece of that here on earth right now, then I want that, right? Now, this is what we said at the very beginning of this section on giving. We said at the very beginning of October that this series was not reactive in nature. It was proactive. What we meant by that was this was not reactive, like, oh, we sat around the room and said the church needs more money. Let's go talk about giving. Giving was fine then. Giving is fine now. There's weekly enough money to pay all the bills plus some. All the bills are paid. We're fine. You can come here in a, in a couple weeks on a Sunday night. We'll actually have kind of a quarterly a budget business meeting, and you can get all the exact numbers. But there's close to half a million dollars in the bank. There's, we're okay. It's not about the church. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you. It's about your own spiritual maturation. It's about you learning what it means to be a giver and to experience that joy in this life. This topic, which is deeply biblical, and Jesus was intense on this topic and touched on it often, is meant to be for you. It's meant to help you grow. It's meant to help you mature. It's meant to help you find true joy in your life. That is first and foremost in Jesus Christ. But what you do with your money matters. And you can find out that to truly give is to truly live. 
In Luke 3, there's an interesting passage of Scripture. If you think that I'm off base in saying that your giving is connected to your spiritual maturation, check this out. Luke 3, groups of people come to John the Baptist, and they ask John, there's three different groups that ask him, how do we know that we've actually repented? How do we know that we've actually reached this point of spiritual maturity? And John gives the three different groups different answers, but they all deal with the same topic. He tells everyone, you should care for other people and you should share your food and your clothing with them. He tells tax collectors that they shouldn't rob people and pocket extra money. And then he tells soldiers that they should be content with their wages and they shouldn't extort other people. So the group of people came to John and said, John, how do we know that we've truly repented? How do we know that real spiritual transformation is taking place in our lives? And John's response centered exclusively on money. Now, they didn't say boo to him about money. They didn't ask him about finances. They didn't ask him about wealth. They didn't say any of that. They just wanted to know, how do we actually know this spiritual maturity is taking place? And his response centered on money. Why, why would John do that? Because John knew what the Bible tells us. Your approach to money is hand-in-hand with your own spiritual maturity. The two are connected in deep ways. This is what Paul is telling Timothy here. That know that yes, you can lay up in the future a good foundation, but also know you can experience heaven on earth now. You can have joy now. You can reach spiritual maturity now. This is what Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary, said. He said, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave away, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. And you'll find the same to be true in your life. If you recognize what Paul said to Timothy, I'm rich, I have time, and I have money at my disposal, and I'm able to invest that in the kingdom of God, you'll find that there is a happiness and there is a joy and there is a, con- a contentment that comes from that giving that you possessing could never, ever, ever give you. Matthew 13, Jesus tells this story. It's a very short parable. But he tells in Matthew 13 the story of a man who was walking through a field and found a treasure randomly buried in the field. And the man unearthed the treasure and he found out that it was in fact treasure. And the Bible says that he buries it back and he goes home and he sells everything that he has so that he can go get that treasure. Now this man who just happened upon this knows I can't steal it, knows I have to at least buy the lot of land first. So he goes and sells everything, gets rid of it all, divests himself of all of his assets and says, I want that field, I want that treasure. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. But there's a a phrase in the middle of that very famous passage of Scripture that jumps out at me, and it's on the screen uh, up above me. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, which when a man hath found, he hideth, and then it says this, for the joy thereof, he goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. This isn't a man who sold everything gave, you know, divested himself of everything, all of his life's work, he put into one thing and bought a piece of land. Poor guy. Poor guy, he just sold all that he had and had to move to this random field. Poor guy. No, Jesus says it's the joy thereof. This man had experienced a greater treasure, so selling all that he had was no problem. I'm giving up short-term, you know, small profits to gain large profits. I'm giving up a little bit of assets to gain a greater asset. The cost-to-benefit ratio was compelling for this man. 
I'm going to give up a little bit to gain a lot. And he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That when we understand eternity, that we understand what it truly means to lay up and store for ourselves treasure there, to lay up a good foundation against the time to come, then for the joy thereof, we willingly give, we willingly share, we willingly get Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, we willingly come out on a faith that works and give of our time and tell people about the gospel. It's no problem. It's the joy thereof. Why? Because we understand that I'm laying up for myself treasure in the future. We understand that there's joy in giving. So to do that is no problem if you truly understand the treasure that awaits you and what you can possess in the future. This is what Matthew 6 tells us, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? Ever thought to yourself, I wish that I was as motivated about the work of God as some other people seem to be. We have that missions conference and there's all this hoopla and hooray and, and we come and we celebrate missions and we make commitments and I mean, I, I like it, but I just, you know, it doesn't make me tick like it makes some of those other people tick. I wish that missions grabbed my heart. I, you ever been there? How do you change that? How do you alter that? Well, one way to alter that, the Bible says, is to put some resources there. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Not... Your heart's there, so you naturally want to give. No. If you move your resources, naturally your heart follows. Just like the needle of a compass goes north, your heart will follow your resources. This is why if you today went home and bought 10,000 shares of Ford stock, first of all, congratulations. I'm not sure how much money that would be, but it'd be quite a bit to buy 10,000 shares of Ford stock. But if you did, you know what would happen to you? You'd be much more interested in Ford Motor Company than I would be, Right? Some article would come across Yahoo about Ford Motor Company and you, there's some CEO scandal and you would be so keen on that. Why? Because you got treasure there. You got stock there, right? The next car you buy, you may go away from the imports and buy a Ford, right? Why? Because your treasure's there. You're starting to care about it. That's all Jesus is saying. Where you put your treasure, your heart follows it. So if you want to care about the work of God, you want to care about his kingdom, you want to care about missions, you want to care about the gospel going forward, put some treasure there, put some time there. Naturally, your heart will follow just like a shadow, and it will be there as well. This is something that is deeply important for a Christian to understand, that I can lay up in the future in heaven. That this does matter to my heart. This does matter to my joy. What I do with my money. And God wants you to be joyful. He even commands you to rejoice. He wants you to find joy. But if you, if you don't understand the biblical teaching on finances, then you're missing out on a piece of joy that should be yours. This is why it behooves me, and really it's kind of my responsibility as a pastor, to tell you the Bible truth of how you can find that joy and what it truly means to give. Because I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be robbed of a blessing. I don't want you to be shortchanged in your Christian life and your growth to maturity because you never knew what the Bible had to say about money. I'll conclude with this. I read a story about Alfred Noble. And I really didn't know Alfred Noble very well at all, but it was interesting as I studied that I came across him. And he was a, a Swedish chemist in the late 1800s. And he invented and sold dynamite. And he got very rich off of this. And in 1888, his brother Ludwig died. And a newspaper mistakenly thought that Alfred had died. So dealing with the grief of just finding out his brother's death, the next morning, 
he opened the newspaper and the headline on the newspaper was about Alfred's death. He was reading about his own death. And the headline of the obituary said this, the merchant of death is dead. And it went on to describe a man who had made his profits from killing other people with this new weapon he had invented, dynamite, and that he had made his money off of killing other people. And it so impacted him that he was sitting there reading his own obituary and the perspective that people had on his life and what he had done with his money and how he had earned it that he decided that day that that was going to change and that was not going to be his legacy. Eight years later, Nobel, he died, and he left $9 million to be awarded to people who were doing great work for humanity. I can't say that he was a Christian. I don't know if he was. I can't say that he made an, an eternal investment, but he wanted to do something more with his money. Today, we would know these awards as Nobel Prizes, people receiving money for the work that they've done to advance the cause against diseases or whatever the case may be. And he was a man who understood he had a unique opportunity to look at his life kind of from a perspective of the end, reading this obituary, and understand that he wanted to change it. He wanted to do something different with what he possessed. Now, you and I have that same opportunity. Many of you, you have maybe grown up in church, or maybe you haven't. Maybe you got saved and, and someone took the time to open up the Bible and begin to teach what the Bible had to say about money. And that began to mature you and grow you. And you've learned what it means to be a joyful giver and to just want to willingly give of yourself and serve and share the gospel and share what little bit you have with other people. You've learned that. And I thank you for that. And I, I pray that God will bless your faithfulness there. But others of you maybe need to take that on-ramp. And you've never seen what it means to truly give of yourself, to truly do more and to give more so that you can lay up for yourself a good foundation, so that you can find out what it means to lay hold on eternal life and have a little piece of heaven on earth. But that's possible. It's possible for you to give a shoebox this week. It's possible for you to make some investments this week. It's possible for you this year to find a family in need and give them a Christmas without anybody knowing, but you just go and you bless them and you give them some presents and some groceries and some things yourself. That's possible. That, that's at your fingertips. You have the ability. I have the ability. You have the time and the resources to be able to Im impact eternity. And what you'll find is that it makes a difference in other people's lives, but it makes a difference in your own life that you find joy and you find happiness because you do that. I'll say this in closing. Our first treasure as a Christian, our greatest treasure is a person, is Jesus Christ. And if you know him, you have the greatest treasure of all. And if you know him, you have the second treasure, and that's a place, that's heaven. The Bible is explicit that if you know Jesus Christ, then you can come to the Father and that you have the gift of eternal life. Those two go hand in hand. But there is a third treasure that does await us in heaven, and that is possessions. And that is determined by what you do. And that's determined by how generous you are. That's determined by how you help that person or don't help that person. That's determined by how you give of yourself. And you have the opportunity, I have the opportunity, my family has the opportunity to literally lay up treasure, to send it ahead, to lay up a good foundation against the time to come, and to experience joy and lay hold on eternal life here in this life. That's an opportunity. Personally, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I don't want to miss that. 
I don't want to miss investing in eternity and literally experiencing a piece of heaven on earth. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful for how it challenges us. Lord, I'm thankful that your word presents truths that are counterintuitive to our human nature. Father, I'll be the first to admit that naturally, in my own human flesh, I want to accrue, I want to consume, I think that that would bring me happiness and some sort of joy and satisfaction. But I'm thankful that your word goes against the grain of my nature and teaches me different. And Lord, I'm thankful that it's true. That I can lay up treasure, that I can lay up a good foundation, that I can lay hold on eternal life and experience joy in this life and find that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Lord, I pray that three short, powerful verses in 1 Timothy would impact us as first world, middle class Americans or that we would see how much we have, that we would see that we are able to give and to distribute and to share and to literally lay up treasure in heaven. 